Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word there, do open it back up to John chapter 14. In many ways, I'm glad we're in a passage like this one this morning. What does it mean for us to be loved by Jesus? In times like this, moments like this, we need to be quieted by the love of our God. We need to be still in his presence and to know who he is. So, so if you were here last week, you'll remember that Robert preached in verses uh, 15 through the end on the question, what does it mean for us to love Jesus? Verse 15, verse 21, verse 23 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. According to Jesus, love for him is not a sentiment. It's not your mere emotions. Love is action. Love is obedience to him. And Robert was really clear. Our love, our obedience does not merit or earn salvation. Our love is in response to his salvation. We love him because he first loved us. And the only appropriate response is to love him as he's loved us by action. Well, this week we, we come back to the same text. We've thought about what it means for, for us to love Jesus, but now let's wrestle with what it means for him to love us. We've already looked at this when he washed his disciples' feet, but Jesus wants his disciples to grapple and wrestle with this. We need to know what it means to be loved by him. And the beauty of this passage is that both sides of relational love are on full display. Now, what Jesus is going to say in short, if I can summarize this sermon, is this. Jesus loves us so much that he gifts us what we need to love him and to express our love one to another. And do you know what he gifts us? He gifts us his Holy Spirit, the helper, the counselor, the comforter, the advocate, the paraclete. And he gifts us his peace. In many ways, that the fruit of his love coming to inhabit us is the Holy Spirit who brings his peace to bear upon our hearts. You know, honestly, if I can be really honest, if there is anything I'm persuaded about myself, it's this. I am, in my own strength, pathetic and rubbish at loving Jesus and loving you as God has commanded me to love you. And I'm terrible at resting in his love. And this passage is one of those great passages because it draws us to that place where he, he wants us to have our eyes opened to see that, listen, we don't do it in our own strength. We do it by the gift that he has given us. Three simple headings. The gift of his love, the focus of his love, the expectation of his love. So let's look at the gift of his love. Look at verse 15, right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now get this, in the same breath as Jesus saying, this is how you are to love me, Jesus now immediately says, this is how I love you. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So in the same breath that Jesus says, this is how you love me, he then says, and this is how I love you. And how does he love us? He gives us with the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
the gift that is the third person of the Holy Trinity, to be with us forever. And if we're listening to his amazing love, this should really take our breath away. God the Son promises to pray to God the Father to ask us, to ask him to give us the Holy Spirit. (laughs) To ask the Father that both of them can give us, because of their great love for us, the third person of the Trinity, to come and live within us so that we can experience the life of God and the love of God and so that we can be empowered to express our love for him. In verse 16, Jesus speaks here of how the persons of the Trinity interact and work for the good of God's people to further the plan of salvation. There's one thing that Jesus knew of his disciples in this night where their hearts were deeply troubled is that they needed to hear assurance and promise that they could do what he was calling them to do. And Jesus says, listen, vital to you living out the Christian life is me gifting you the Holy Spirit so that you can do what I call you to do. Now, I want you to see just just how amazing this promise is. In, in, In the three repeated statements that we looked at last week of If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right after them, each of them are followed with the same Trinitarian promise, just worded slightly different. So so look at this, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And note, he goes on and says, and you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Then look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. A manifestation comes through the Spirit. And then look at verse 23. Jesus answered him, if if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, Jesus and the Father, the Holy Spirit will come to him and make our home with him. The message is the same throughout. Being loved by Jesus means being loved by the Father and the Spirit such that God comes and makes his home with us through his Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that John's been doing all along in this this gospel has been setting us up for this moment. You see, The most amazing reality of being a Christian is our life is Christ's life. So back in John chapter 3, you could turn there for just a moment if you want. John chapter 3, verses 33 to 34. John chapter 3, verses 33 to 34. Sorry, verse 34 to 35 it is. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, Jesus. For he gives the spirit to Jesus without measure. The father loves the son and is giving all things into his hand. Remember the baptism of Jesus. This is my beloved son. What happens? The heavens open and the spirit comes down here's the reality. As God the Father loves his Son, so Jesus and the Father, as they love their disciples, they give the Spirit without measure to the disciples to equip us 
and to empower us to live the Christian life. The same spirit that empowered Jesus throughout his earthly ministry is the same spirit that empowers you and I as we seek to follow Jesus. And you've got to understand that the Spirit comes in to us, not just to empower us, but he comes into us so that we might experience the life of God. That we might know God, the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see, this is the purpose for which we were made. To know God. To share in the life of God. I, I said this a few weeks ago. What went wrong is told to us at the beginning of the story. A very good God created this very good world. He made man in his image. That is, God made us in his image. That is, he made us both with the capacity to be loved by him and to love him and one another. We were made, as we see in Adam and Eve, to live in the near presence of God to experience a life with God and to, to be loved by him, to love him. It's what's going on in the garden in the opening chapters of Genesis 1 and 2. The tragedy comes when our first parents exchange the truth of God for a lie, when they exchange the love of God for the love of self, when they succumb to Satan's lie that they can be like God. And in that moment, they, they bring all of humanity into the reality that is sin. And remember what happens? They were expelled. They were evicted from the near presence of God. And ever since then, humanity has been on this restless pursuit, walking around the wilderness of the world, as it were, walking around the desert of this world, yearning and longing for love. And the problem is, when we look for love, we look for love in all the wrong places. We, we might experience love, but it's only a mirage of the true love that we were made to experience. And here Jesus says, here's the most incredible gifts that he gives to his disciples. He gives them the gift of his Holy Spirit in order that we might taste the purpose for which we were made, to live in the life of God, to experience the love of God. And the wonder of it all is that we experience the fullness of the triune God's love for us. So Jesus promises the gift of love. The gift that will enable us to experience his love and to express our love. But then I want you to notice that Jesus in this section as well, he... he, he he also draws attention to the focus of his love. You see, I think, okay, that's huge truths for us to get our puny little minds around, but Jesus wants you to know this morning that you are loved. You exclusively are loved by him. His love is focused on you. So, so go back to verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. So, so Jesus now makes a distinction that, that the love that he has come to gift his disciples is a love that is 
not known by this world, not known, that is, by those who don't believe him, those who reject him. He says the world is alien to the Spirit. They don't see him, they don't know him. But you, who have come to know Jesus, who have believed in his name, you know him. And do you know how you know him? Because he's with you. Not only is he with you, says Jesus, he's in you. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian. Do you know that to be objectively true? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in your heart, makes home within you. You should know that the Holy Spirit is in you. He is with you. He is for you. He is in us, the spirit of truth, to lead us into all truth. He is in us to make us witnesses. He is in us to persuade us of his love and to assure us of the love of God. He is in us to convict us of our sin. And if you know all those realities, the Holy Spirit, he is within you. to Make you know the life of God and the love of God. And he wants you to know it. He wants you to know that his love is focused on you. One of the most staggering realities is what Jesus actually goes on and says next. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. The coming of the Holy Spirit allows Jesus to state without hesitation that his disciples will not be left as orphans. Now, the metaphor of being an orphan is being a child without parents child without father or a mother. And if you know the Old Testament, you know that the Old Testament speaks time and time and time and time and time again about orphans, orphans and widows, because they are the most vulnerable people in the world. They are in great need and in great danger. They don't have protection. They don't have security. They're helpless. Well, here in the upper room discourse, Jesus says to his disciples, you will not be left as orphans because here's the wondrous thing. When the gift of the Holy Spirit is focused on you, you have everything you need for life. So Spurgeon put it like this, an orphan has parents who are dead. The Spirit shows us that Jesus is alive. An orphan is left alone. The Spirit draws close to God's pres- draws us close to God's presence. An orphan has lost their provider. The Spirit provides all things. An orphan is left without instruction. The Spirit teaches us all things. An orphan has no defender. The Spirit is the protector. So it's not just the gift of his love that Jesus wants us to see is the fact that we are loved by him exclusively, focused. His love is directed to us. But perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know this love or this life that I'm talking about, the love of God, the life in God. Can I ask you a question? How is your life working out in the sense of when it comes to the Bible says that our problem is, is that at the beginning we exchange the truth of God for lie. Instead of wanting to rest in the love of God, instead of wanting to live to love God, we, 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 we totally exchanged it for love that is turned inward 
on self. How is it working out for you knowing loving self as opposed to knowing the amazing love of God for you? Because Jesus here wants us to know there is something far better than love of self. Loving him is where you discover your true purpose, your true meaning. Being loved by him is like no other experience in this world because he is the one who made us, who knows us fully, and still loves us with this incredible, undeserved, unearned love. Those of you who don't yet know the love of Jesus, this passage is a call to come and know his amazing love. So we've looked at the gift of his love. We've thought about the exclusiveness of his love. But let's close with how Jesus closes. He closes with the expectation of love. It's really striking that in the middle of this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples about the gift of the Holy Spirit, he, he suddenly says goodbye. You know, if you're a Jew, you say hi and you say bye by saying shalom. God's peace be upon you. God's highest and richest blessing. It's both a greeting and it's both a parting. Well, Jesus' conversation, it's drawing to an end. And he ends the conversation like any Jew would end a conversation. He says in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. But what you and I need, need to understand is when Jesus says this parting, he takes the ordinary Jewish parting that's been totally devalued and he resurrects it and he fills it with the meaning it was always intended to have. God's people were made to live in the fullness of God's blessing, his shalom, his wholeness. And just listening to how Jesus applies it, he says, the peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The distinctive of the peace that Jesus gives, it's peace based upon the action of his love, his death. You see, we might say we live in a war-torn world, but the reality is we also live in war and enmity with God because of our sin. And Jesus came into this world to give himself as an atoning sacrifice, that is to turn the wrath of God away from us, take it upon himself so that we might be reconciled with a holy God. Now remember the context of this statement. It's clear. The experience of God's peace through Christ cannot be divorced from the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's work in us is to persuade us, convict us, remind us, to make us more like Jesus and to know his love and who he is. Truth be told, I don't know if you know this, but there is only actually one command given in this entire section. See when it says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's actually not a command. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a statement of fact. But you know the command in this passage? Well, it's when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. 
And I think it's fitting and faithful to this text, and then that should be our, our main application this morning. This command that's stated in this form of prohibition, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. His application and his expectation to those who have been given the peace of God's love is that we should experience that peace. Why is that the expectation of Christ's love? Listen very clearly and carefully. Because fear and worry and anxiety are offensive to God's love for us. The bottom of a troubled and fearful heart, at the bottom of a troubled and fearful heart lies a suspicion that God's love is not enough. That's the, that's the lie, the temptation that Adam and Eve bought. And that is the lie that lies under all of our fears and anxieties and troubles. That God's love is inadequate and insufficient. So the question of application, Jesus says, is let not your hearts be troubled. So let me ask you the question, what is currently troubling your heart? What is it you're afraid of? These, these, these disciples in that night, they were terrified because Jesus was leaving them and they thought they were going to be left on their own. They troubled hearts because they knew that they were going to deny him and they were going to abandon him. Fear is an offense to God's love. I don't know what's troubling your heart this morning, but I know that the sort of things that trouble our hearts. Some of us are really anxious and worried about other people's opinion. You see, our greatest fear is what other people think of us. And if that's your problem... That says, God's love is not enough for you. I need other people's approval to have peace. It's a lie. Or perhaps you're anxious because you're, you're single. You're troubled about your singleness. You're believing the lie that says, God's love is not enough for you. I need to find a spouse to be complete and to have peace. That's a lie. Or perhaps you're anxious because of your children. Perhaps you want them to be happy and healthy and successful. And it troubles you. They keep you up at night. Again, that God's love is not enough for you. You need all of that for you to be at peace. It's a lie. Perhaps what troubles you this morning is because we live in this world and it's a world of madness and chaos. And we see all that's going on and we think, God's love's not enough for me. I need a perfect environment. I need perfect conditions so that my Christian worldview can have peace. As hard as it is to say this, all of our fears and anxieties, in some real sense, they're offensive to God because perfect love casts out all fear. Because to say that I need something else for peace when you've been given the God of peace by his Holy Spirit to live inside you, to share in the life of God, to experience the love of God, his eternal, inexhaustible love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Church, that is enough. And you need to know your fears are lying to you. They're lying to me. Our fears are constantly lying to us. 
And so Jesus says here, let not your hearts be troubled. And he's not saying something that's sentimental, inspiring. He's demanding it. Let not your hearts trouble you. But how? I don't know how I can stop my heart from troubling me. I can't easily dismiss my heart. Well, the application of this passage is filled with this enormous promise. The promise is what combats our fears. We don't just get rid of our fears. We replace them. We throw, we aren't, fears aren't thrown out, they're pushed out. Instead of trying to reason with your anxieties, you never will. Instead of trying to talk yourself out of your anxieties, you never will. Fight against your anxieties with God's love. That's where Jesus is going. That's where we're going to see, that's what we're going to see in the next chapter. Abide in my love. And here's the wonderful thing of what Jesus says and Jesus commands. He gives us a helper, the Holy Spirit, to persuade us of his love. I don't know what it, it's providence that makes this happen, but every time I'm preaching on the love of Christ, and it just happens to be in the, the passage I'm preaching on, we always seem to be taking communion. And that's not an accident. That is not an accident. Because in this meal, we're invited tangibly to smell, to taste, to see the action of God's love on our behalf, Jesus Christ's death, which makes peace. A peace that this world could never rob from us. And this table, the one who is at work this morning is the spirit. As we have mystical communion with our Savior, as we feed on him by faith. And the Spirit's job is to persuade us this morning and to nourish us that we are loved by God. Perfect love casts out all fears. So come, know that you're loved. Come, express your love. Come, leave here this morning and go love one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the glorious promise and gift of his love. Let's pray. Our Father, we can scarce take in all that Jesus has said. To think that we are loved by you, Father, and by you, Lord Jesus, and by you, Holy Spirit, we can scarce take it in. To think that you've made your home within us who know you and who love you. And that there is no thing that is better in all the world than experiencing your life and your love. We want to thank you for enabling us to live out the purpose for which we were made. And we want to pray that now as we set our eyes and as we set our hearts upon this feast, that as we feast on Christ by faith, by the work of your Holy Spirit, we would leave you assured of your love. God, forgive us. Have mercy upon us when we succumb to all the anxieties of this life. And at no point do we stop and fight them with your love. Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning who has never come to experience the amazing love of God.
in Christ Jesus. We pray that today would be the day that they would call upon you for salvation and find it in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to what we've just been thinking about and let's sing to God's praise in this psalm, Psalm 33. You might wonder, why are we singing the old version of the psalm? Well, if truth be told, the Sing Psalms version doesn't have a tune that's easy. But this Scottish shelter version has a great tune, the Irish, tune called Irish, and it works well. So these are old words, uh, old English, but they capture the reality of the love of God perfectly. So let's stand and sing to God's praise. Be righteous in the Lord, rejoice. It comes and right. That a bright man with a thankful voice should praise the Lord of might. To judgment and to righteousness, a love he bears still. The loving kindness of the Lord. Let earth and all that live therein with reverence fear the Lord. Let all the worlds inhabitants dread For he did speak the word, and done it was without delay. Established, it firmly stood. Brothers and sisters, we come to celebrate together in the Lord's Supper. Brothers and sisters, as we come, we're invited to come with reverence, with awe, with joy.
to come behold the Holy One of God who shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He laid down his life willingly and lovingly so that we might be forgiven and that we might have the gift of eternal life and the gift of his Holy Spirit. As we commune this morning with our Lord and as we're nourished by the Spirit, may we realize the great benefit that is in coming to the Lord's table. This is what we were made for, to live and commune with God. And so as we come to the Lord's table, it is my duty to remind us about how we come. We are to receive the Lord's Supper carefully. The clear teaching of Holy Scripture is that the Lord's table is for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ only. So if you love the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is a meal for you. A meal for you who put your faith firmly in him. It's a meal where Christ promises to give himself to you. And if you are struggling this morning as a believer, struggling to know his love, know that this meal is here to remind you of it. It's here to proclaim the gospel afresh to you. If you are not a believer, it is our heart's sincerest prayer that, that you'd come one day to feast in this meal and feast in Christ by faith. But what we'd ask is that as the elements are distributed is that you would watch on and ask yourself, what is it that we are proclaiming? We are proclaiming the forgiveness of our sins until Jesus comes again. We are proclaiming that we trust in him for forgiveness, for peace, and for all that we need for life. May you come one day to know this. Paul's instruction to the Christians in Corinth was clear. Let a person examine themselves and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So let us come and let us pray. Great God of heaven and earth, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit you search out our hearts. You know us better than we know ourselves. And we pray that this morning you would shine the torchlight of your spirit upon our hearts. We pray that, Lord, those things that we might hide to those around us, that we would lay them bare and exposed in front of you, confess them and own them, and turn in repentance to you even now. Lord, we pray that as we come to this meal that we would come with humility and with reverence. We are so thankful for this meal. We thank you that this meal points us to the last day, to the marriage supper of man. We pray that then as we come, we would come here with joy, with to this occasion and to participation in it. We, the living God, we pray that even this morning we'd be led into more acquaintance with the Lord Jesus Christ with him glorified, knowing that the power of the Spirit that raised him from the dead is at work within us. And Lord, we, we want to pray for those who are here and not yet in Christ. Truly, it is our prayer that they would come to know the wonder of your amazing love as we have come to know it. We realize we've only come to know it by grace. And so we pray it would be the grace of the gospel that would open their eyes to see Jesus even this day. Lord, thank you for this bread and thank you for this wine, these common elements which we now use and set apart for the purpose of reminding of ourselves of Christ's body broken for us. 
and Christ's blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. It is in his name we pray. Amen.